Hi, I'm Amanda Morin. I'm the Director of Thought Leadership for Understood.org, and I'm a parent to kids who learn differently. I'm Gretchen Vierstra, a former classroom teacher and an editor here at Understood, and this is In It. In It is a podcast from the Understood Podcast Network. On this show, we talk to parents, teachers, experts, and sometimes even kids. We're here to offer perspectives, stories, and advice for and from people who have challenges with reading, math, focus, and other types of learning differences. Today, we're looking at the very real connection between ADHD and sleep problems, and we'll be providing some excellent advice on how to help kids who just can't seem to get a good night's sleep. Later, we'll hear from Dr. Roberto Olivardia, a clinical psychologist who teaches at Harvard Medical School and has a psychotherapy practice in Lexington, Massachusetts. He specializes in working with kids who have learning differences and with their families. He's also an understood expert. First, though, we're talking to Belinda, a mom in Florida who has definitely been in it when it comes to ADHD and sleep challenges. Belinda has a 12-year-old son who she's calling Mr. B to protect his privacy, which is kind of funny because when I refer to my 12-year-old when I'm talking publicly about him and what makes him neurodiverse, I call him Mr. 12, and we had a really good laugh about that. Mr. B has ADHD and is autistic, and he's gone through periods where sleep has been a major challenge. And Belinda has the same diagnoses and has had the same struggles. And we are so grateful to her for sharing her experiences with us. We're talking today about how ADHD can affect sleep, something I know has been an issue for your family. But before we get into it, I'd really love to know a little bit about you and your son. What is he into and what does he like to do? Well, uh, so Mr. B is my only son. So that kind of lets you know right away he, he does tend to get a lot of uh, extra presents on Christmas. Uh, but he's, uh, he's a bright kid. Let's see, he plays soccer. He loves Roblox, which he's playing actually right now. He likes Legos. He loves to read. Uh, he's got a good sense of humor for a young child. He's a little bit precocious. And he was um, diagnosed with ADHD fairly recently, in uh, 2018. Uh, mm-hmm. He also was diagnosed with uh, anxiety at the time. And then 2020, we went back because uh, even though he was on medication, we just were like, something's still a little off. Uh, and he was diagnosed with um, uh, autism. Personally, I was also recently diagnosed on the spectrum as well, uh, and I, I have ADHD and anxiety. So what drove me to get a diagnosis was I felt that a lot of his experiences, a lot of the ways that he was reacting, it was almost like I was looking in a mirror, and it brought back a lot of my yes. past, uh, a lot of, of my childhood. He, he's kind of like a mini-me. <laughs> it's, it's interesting. He sounds like a lot of fun. And I will tell you that Mr. 12 also has ADHD and is he uses the phrase autistic. So Mr. 12 is ADHD and is autistic and is probably playing something like Roblox <laughs> in the other room right now, too. Do you want to move on to sleep, Amanda? Yeah, yes. I think we should move. Well, I would love to move on to sleep. I don't sleep well, so I would love to move on to sleep. <laughs> but we know that having ADHD can make going to sleep difficult. Um, And I'd really like to know what that looked like for your son, but I'm really wondering if it's something you also have struggled with. So as a baby, he was, in Spanish, we say ojo duro, which means a hard eye, difficult to fall asleep. And 4 a.m. was his witching hour. So we'd put him in bed and like clockwork at 4 a.m., my husband would go and tend to the baby. And he said his eyes would be like this in the darkness, like kind of looking around. And this is an infant. I mean, he was under six months old. Naps were... I mean, it was very difficult to get him to nap. I would literally drive around while he 
fell asleep. And, and what also made it a bit difficult as well is hearing from mom friends, oh, mine sleeps through the night. What an angel. And you're like, oh, jeez. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, sleep is, uh, and I was the same way. Sleep is still a struggle to this day for me. My husband's the opposite. He can lie down, go to sleep, no problem. <laughs> That's Lucky. our house, too. <laughs> There's something about that that makes you want to be like, I'm so happy for you and also wake up because we're, we're awake right now, too. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> I wondered if you just could tell us a little bit about when your son was a baby. I know you said you drove him around. Like, what were some of the other things you did that worked? Because I know that can be a struggle for lots of families. Yes. So some things were typically used with babies, the rocking chairs, the the swaddling. You know, we made sure the temperature was just right for sleep, how he slept, you know, what he was wearing. Music was soothing. We tried also white noise, uh, there was a lot of um, laying him on my chest, a lot of having him feel like snuggled, a lot of rocking, a lot of late nights. My goodness, Mr. 12 was so much the same way. <laughs> I was actually writing a book when he was a baby and I would swaddle him and I was typing. And I say today that I'm still brushing crumbs off the top of his head from when I was eating over him. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, what's his sleep like now? Well, so he started sixth grade and... When COVID hit in our state, we had lockdown, and then we had to do homeschooling. That really affected his anxiety levels. So when he was beforehand sleeping through the night, post-quarantine lockdown to now, he cannot fall asleep alone. It's been a real struggle. He will not fall asleep unless someone is there with him. He will wake up in the middle of the night, come to my bedroom, unable to sleep, and we did a uh, go through a sleep psychologist. We tried medication. Um, now I will say when he was a baby, we lived by the beach and we lived by a forest, kind of cool s- situation we have. The beach would tire him out. We'd go there and he'd play in the waves and the sand and make sand castles. And we, he would fall asleep on the way home. And when you're talking about crumbs, there would be sand all over his pillow. So that's one thing that I could suggest is when they are younger, definitely tucker them out. I think nature really has a great way to tire kids out and they get that nice fresh air in their lungs. But then I mean, the pandemic really has made a difference. So he has a Spotify playlist, weighted blankets, nightlight. We tried teas. I mean, I think you name it, we mm-hmm. probably tried it. Does he worry about going to sleep? Well, honestly, what happens sometimes is he comes alive at night and he'll want to have conversations. And the thing I will say is, these are the conversations that are important. This is when he tells me, you know, some something is bothering him, what's on his heart, you know. He'll just start having these questions, like these deep philosophical conversations at bedtime. And that's okay, but I'm like, it's 11. you got to go to bed. we got to be up at 6 for school. So I try to curb him by answering quick and saying, hey, you know, let's talk about this in the morning. My daughter is the same. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, she unpacks everything right before. How old is she? She is 13. (laughs) So everything gets unpacked right before then. And like you said, it's a struggle, right? Because these are important conversations that you want to have, but not at 10 o'clock at night. But I wonder what's on your Spotify playlist. What kinds of things are on there that are helping? We've actually looked at um, ADHD and sleep. So we'll put those keywords in and these lists come up. Um, There's one that's a classical guitar, and the classical piano, 
but I need to make sure they play for at least eight hours. That's the key. Because if they stop, you know, it could be great music, but if it stops in an hour or three hours, he'll be up. Interesting. Uh, so my best tip would be make sure it's long and play it, you know, on loop. I have a question around that, though, right? Yes. Because I know lots of times families worry about putting phones in the bed with their kids. Does your son ever get distracted by anything else or does he? Well, it's an old phone. Okay. So <laughs> it has Wi-Fi, but no calling out. So I put in parental <laughs> controls and I put the timer so it's fixed. So the only thing he can access overnight would be um, Spotify and go the flashlight. And that might be it. Yeah, that's helpful. That's such yep, a good that's tip. That's a good tip. Like, that's such a good tip. Yeah. Now, he does need someone there with him. So we have, you know, these are some tips. We have night lights, we have music, but he still needs that comfort of having someone there. You have the weighted blanket. I mean, I feel like I've tried and done pretty much everything. And the way I look at it is, you know, I'm, a, I'm an 80s kid. So there, you know, diagnoses, all these things, plus being from South American culture, my mom was like, okay, you can't sleep. Okay, just that's fine. I go to my room maybe the line on or whatever, but it wasn't how we are now when we have this, you know, technology and, and we have more information and we know what we can try. Um, my father is, he's the same way, difficult to sleep, night owls. We just tend to come alive at night like vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you Glenda. for having Thank me. Thank you Amanda so much. And it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You can keep up with Belinda and her advocacy work on behalf of folks who are neurodivergent on Instagram or Twitter. Check the show notes for her handle. Like Belinda and Mr. B, Roberto Olivardia has had sleep challenges for most of his life. Now, as a psychotherapist and researcher, he has a greater understanding of why ADHD makes sleep so hard for him and for many others. And he's got a toolbox full of strategies to make it easier. We're so happy to have him here with us today to share what he's learned. Thank you for joining us, first of all. Sure. We're so excited to talk to you about this hot topic of sleep. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's something that does come up a lot in conversations with families who are what we call in it. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping you can help us <laughs> better understand we it. Are. Right. Definitely. Well, I have ADHD myself. And I mean, I'm a sleep disorder poster child. Um, and then I have two kids with both have ADHD. And even as infants were, I mean, my poor wife would be at mother's support groups and they'd be like, oh, finally, my kid's sleeping through the night at five months old. And my kids were like 16 months old when they slept through the uh. night. And like, so I know from a personal experience, but even today, I mean, sleep is still, it's an issue like for me. It's, it's a full-time job for me to get to bed every night. That's so relatable to me. It is in our house too. And I'm curious, how often concerns about sleep come up in your work with patients who have ADHD? Right now, sleep problems are not in the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual criteria for ADHD. I suspect at some point it will be because, frankly, I don't know anyone with ADHD that hasn't had an issue with sleep. So whether that's trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, waking up in the morning despite getting ample amounts of sleep, um, sleep disorders like sleep apnea, narcolepsy, night terrors, um, circadian rhythm abnormalities, bedwetting. I mean, and the research is quite significant in showing that people with ADHD are significantly higher prevalence of having a whole host of sleep issues. So with young people I work with, that is 
I would say in the top three issues, if not the number one sometimes, that parents will bring up is, my kid doesn't want to go to sleep. Suddenly at 10 o'clock at night, they get this rush of energy and they want to go to bed at, you know, one in the morning. And then it's waking up the dead in the morning when they got to get to school that they sleep through their alarm clocks. Um, It's very, very common. I'm wondering about the biology at play here. Is there something in that ADHD brain, for example, that gets in the way of sleep? Absolutely. And and I'm glad you started off with that question because what I always try to do in my practice is first validate the experience of understanding this is biology and wiring at play. Um, and then there's you know behaviors and psychology that come along with that. But to your question, absolutely. The studies show that um, first, that people with ADHD it's more prevalent for them to have circadian rhythm abnormalities. So one of them is there's a term called the delayed sleep phase syndrome, which basically refers to that at about, you know, nine, 10 o'clock at night, our bodies should be getting, you know, tired or earlier if if the person is younger, a child, um, and then kind of lull itself and get itself ready for bed. And for a lot of people with ADHD, there's almost like a shift where, at that time, sometimes they get an increase in energy, or you know, parents will call it the second wind. Um, it's almost like they're physically not tired. And I can attest to this personally, that I would always say, I mean, certainly through high school and college, 10 o'clock was where I started doing my best work, um, you know, and writing papers and everything. And it would be about 2 a.m. that I would start to feel tired. <laughs> And it was validating to me because I got a sleep study in my early 30s because I have a whole host of sleep issues throughout my life. And when I heard that phrase for the first time, delayed sleep phase syndrome, they said you weren't even entering into the deeper levels of sleep till about two in the morning. And I thought, oh, that was so validating because it's like, oh, okay, this isn't just me here. Like there is something else operating. So we know that that can happen. We also know that you know, people with ADHD have a harder time kind of grounding themselves. You know, as ADHD individuals, we're always seeking stimulation. You know, there's a funny quote I heard many years ago at an ADHD conference that said, you know, for people with ADHD, going to sleep is lying in a dark room waiting for nothing to happen. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, yes, it is so boring. It's like, okay, I'm lying in bed. I'm just waiting (laughs) for this moment that I'm supposed to be asleep. It's so like, what am I doing? You know, and that's actually really hard. And I think that's what's so, it's almost baffling to people who don't have ADHD to be like, what are you talking about? Just you go to bed and you go to sleep. I honestly, that's a weird concept. It still is a weird concept for me to just surrender and just end the day and like, okay, I'm I'm not supposed to be thinking of all of these (laughs) things because- To people with ADHD, you're in this dark room, you're not being stimulated. And so your head starts imagining, and it's sometimes things I could be anxious about. Sometimes it's things I'm excited about. Sometimes I'm like, ooh, that meal I had today was so good. How can I make that meal again? It could be, and all those things are activating, you know, an individual. Um, There are research also looking at serotonin levels that are, that serotonin is a neurochemical in our brain that is implicated in sleep and arousal, and that those, that can be dysregulated for people with ADHD. So when we're supposed to be hypo-aroused, so having a lower level of arousal, we're almost having a hyper 
arousal because again, if an environment doesn't provide enough stimulation to someone with ADHD, the ADHD brain will create and try to seek it. So we're always in this negotiation with our environment of, okay, I need enough stimulation that grounds me, but not too much that keeps me awake, mm-hmm. but not too little, you know, where, I mean, I, I remember in third grade, and this is so diagnostic, um, <laughs> my wonderful third grade teacher, Miss Wade, who I adored, she had us write a paragraph of a fictional character that we related to. And all the boys wrote, like, the Hulk and Superman. And I'm like, really? You relate to the Hulk? Maybe you want to be the Hulk, but I don't think you can relate, relate you to do, the Hulk. you do, maybe there's something else we need to talk about, right? Yeah, we need to talk about some anger management skills. Right? Um, but I wrote Goldilocks from the Three Bears. And my teacher was like, Goldilocks? And I said, yeah, because for Goldilocks, this bed was too hard and this bed was too soft, but this was just right. And this porridge was too hot. This porridge was too cold. And to people with ADHD, there is this sort of specificity that we need to kind of like uh, uh, like shape our environment so it's just right. And it can almost feel or seem like almost obsessive compulsive. And sometimes people with ADHD have OCD traits, but that that's a little different. That's more of this is what I need to ground myself. And so when I tell you today I have to sleep a certain way with my wedge pillow, with the temperature of the room a certain way, with the comforter that's weighted enough, that's what's going to get me to sleep. I'm grinning. I am grinning because my 12-year-old who has ADHD, his room, we have room darkening curtains, we have the fan, we have the noise machine, we have the weighted blanket. All of those things need to be in place before he yes. can sleep. So, you, I mean, that's awesome that he already is working on that and understands all that because I think for a lot of people with ADHD, if they don't understand the context of it, they might, a lot of, you know, unfortunately, I think one of the greatest obstacles to ADHD is shame and this idea that a lot of people will be like, oh, well, why can't I just be one of those people that just like go to sleep? I shouldn't need all of these things or they don't always know that they need kind of all of these things. But I, absolutely. I don't know how people sleep with a sheet on them. I have to have a, a comforter that's like thick, that literally is almost, I think of it as literally holding me into my bed. Like you are now going to sleep because I feel like I'm going to levitate if I don't have. <laughs> so don't relatable. Have. We're also wondering about ADHD medications, if and how yes. they impact sleep. So one of the treatments of ADHD is is medication, and it's either stimulant medication or non-stimulant medication. But particularly with stimulant medication, it's tricky because um, for some individuals, if they take a dose, let's say later in the day, it could impact their sleep and keep them up. And at the same time, I've had patients of all ages who have a dose of medication actually in the early evening, which actually helps them go to sleep because they're better able to ground themselves, to get done what they need to get done, to actually focus, as strange as it sounds, focus on going to sleep. And anecdotally, through I mean, I, I didn't start drinking coffee till I was in my early 30s. Um, and, you know, that's what kid, when my, the birth of my first child that got me to. That's when we start <laughs> drinking coffee. You have kids, that's it. Yeah. You have kids, that'll just get you into coffee. And I would notice that just anecdotally, I would drink sometimes like a cup of coffee, like a half hour, 45 minutes before bed. And it would, I would sleep better. That would keep me up all night <laughs> if I had it that yeah. late. So if, if. If my wife had coffee past 3 p.m., that impacts her sleep. 
I am a half to half hour to 45 minutes. Now, why is that? Because caffeine obviously is a stimulant. And what's happening is that this, it's enough of a stimulant, but not too much, that it's enabling me to focus on going to sleep and going to bed, like managing the impulsivity of all of the things that might get in the way between point A of I should go to bed to point B, which is actually getting to bed. So I always tell people with with medication, I mean, what we know about stimulant medication is it's truly um, a unique individual experience because you can have two people who both take the same dose, let's say, of, of Adderall who respond totally differently to it because of just the nature of their ADHD and their own chemistry, because ADHD is interacting, you know, with your environment. So I always tell people it's not necessarily that, oh, you take stimulants, it's going to create a problem with sleep. To that individual, it might help them reduce their impulsivity to focus and regulate their attention so that it enables them to go to sleep indirectly. So I'm not saying that a stimulant is a sleep aid, mm-hmm. but that it it enables in managing one's ADHD, which then becomes the thing that could make it problematic. That's such a good clarification. I think parents and, and listeners will really appreciate hearing that um, because I think there are, there are a lot of myths around that. So I think clearing that up is super important. That leads me to another, I don't know if it's a myth or not, Roberto, I'm going to ask you this. So as parents, we get a lot of warnings, right, about how much sleep kids should be getting. Is it really true across the board that all kids need this certain amount of sleep? And when do parents really need to be worrying about their child not getting enough sleep? So in general, there are these guidelines, you know, that the National Sleep Foundation will set at, you know, certain ages that we need a certain amount of sleep to really do the work that sleep is really meant to do, which is it's meant to kind of repair our brains and our bodies, give us some rest. It's Our brain is actually quite active when we're sleeping. It's consolidating our information from the day before. It's um, boosting our immune system. It's regulating our metabolism. Um, so I always tell people that, you know, sleep deprivation is not just about losing sleep. It affects, you know, our metabolic cycle, and that's why sleep deprivation and uh, weight issues can go hand in hand. It certainly can affect our concentration, but not just our concentration because we're tired, but because our brain hasn't properly done that work on consolidating that information. So it might be harder to access information. And I could tell you, as in my experience with ADHD, it was really much later in my adult life where I really came to terms with understanding because when I was in my 20s, definitely, I saw sleep as very disposable. Like, I I honestly was like, well, sleep is what happens when there's no more fun to be had (laughs) (laughs) or there's no more work to be done. Uh And I'm somebody, I can find fun very easily and I love my work. I truly love what I do. So to me, it was like, I did not respect sleep in the ways that I should have. So that's sort of one of those things I'm almost having this you know newer relationship with so to your question there are these guidelines that let's say for uh, you know a pre-adolescent or adolescent especially where they're growing it you know could be anywhere from like eight to ten and a half hours of sleep a night now are most teenagers getting that amount of sleep a night absolutely not like we really are in a sleep debt and at the same time to also know that not everybody needs that amount. Like, I can honestly tell you, I've never, the only times I've ever slept more than 
eight hours was when times like I was sick, like with the flu yeah. or I was massively sleep deprived and just making up on it. I've never been an eight hour sleeper. So it really comes down to how I always tell people, because a lot of adults, especially that I work with, we like, no, I'm good on four hours of sleep. I'm like, well, maybe, but let's look at that. How much, how much caffeine are you ingesting? And some of them like, oh, I only have like, you know, four, four. you know, five shot lattes. <laughs> Four. I'm like every well, two hours. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. Um, or if it's the kind of thing, because especially with ADHD, and this I had to understand this myself is I'm never bored at what I do, like at my work, and so I can be really tired. But once I'm in the office and I'm talking with people, I'm activated. I'm turned on. So the question isn't always like, do you fall asleep at work? It could be, well, what happens in the moment that you're not stimulated? We always want to look at that because if if it's the moment you're not stimulated, you're falling asleep, you're not getting enough sleep. Uh, um, you know, what's your mood like? Because the other thing is, you know, lots of people can get by, like I got by on two, three hours of sleep in graduate school all the time. Was I optimal? No, I wasn't optimally functioning. Like, I mean, in so many, you know, different ways. So it's looking at our mood state. So it's, if you were to go to sleep, you know, and just kind of let your, not have your alarm wake you up, how many hours, you know, would you need to really feel, you know, refreshed in that way? You actually have opened my mind to how many sleep challenges there actually are out there. And so now with all these challenges out there, especially for kids with ADHD, what are your like top recommendations for how to help kids sleep? Yeah. So one is I always want to involve kids too. And one, just validating to them, you know, well, first it could be hard for a lot of people, whether you have ADHD or not, you know, to get to sleep, to have a bedtime routine. However, it is definitely something that's very common. And part of having ADHD is the difficulty with that. And almost trying to approach it in a fun kind of way of like, okay, what are the things that we can do to sort of make it happen? And it won't just be one thing. It'll often be these kind of like all like the, you know, the darkening shades and the this and the this and this. And for them not to look at that as this is like so high maintenance, you know, but to look at it as like, oh my gosh, because when you do find those proper toolbox and you get a good night's sleep, it's like amazing. It's like, I don't care if I have to do 10 cartwheels before, you know, I have to go to, if that's what's going to get me. So you first sort of lay that out. And then it's really trying different things, like in trying to understand what is the thing that's difficult. Is it that when you get to sleep, you're just, your mind is thinking and thinking and thinking, and then you're activated. So that could then be having some stimulation in the room. So it's, again, it's like Goldilocks where it can't be too much. So sometimes when I just know I have a lot on my mind, I'll have on my phone, I'll put um, Enya, who, for those of you who don't know, Enya is a Gaelic, amazing, sail away, amazing, (laughs) brilliant artist who has the most like ethereal, like lush music. So I'll put an Enya song on repeat, the same song, at a low volume that I'm not super stimulated, but it's loud enough that I can hear it. And why that, again, that that Goldilocks zone is it's enough that my mind is paying attention to that and not attending to maybe 
the sounds outside. So now it could, and I say the same song on repeat because if it's different songs, your brain's like, ooh, novelty, mm -hmm. novelty, novelty. Now for other kids, it could be um, either a fan in terms of the wind on them. It could be, um, you know, the lighting in the room. If there's a digital clock, maybe we need to get rid of that clock. Any amount of light. Now there are other kids that might say if it's too dark, they might get a little scared right. and they start thinking of things. So then they might need a nightlight. And a nightlight could be almost like their North Star that they're sort of looking at. And then that enables them to fall asleep. So it's always about trying to understand the function of what gets in the way. Now, for some kids, it could be the actual bed and the sensory experience of sleep. And I know this for myself. Like I sleep with a wedge pillow because you know, I sleep at an angle, basically, because when I, and this was even when I was a kid, I couldn't explain it except to say, if I was lying flat, I felt as if my head was angled down, like in a dentist chair. Yep. That's, yeah. I have sensory issues and that that's so relatable to me. The, you feel like you're falling backwards, even though you're not. I, yes. So like, it could be the pillow. It could be, because again, ADHD individuals are very sensory defensive. We're sensitive by nature. I mean, emotionally, physically. So even the sheets, um, it could also be being aware of what you're doing before bedtime. And, and for parents of kids with ADHD to know it's not always going to be what you think it is. So to give you an example, I work out when I do, when I go to the gym, I go to a 24 hour gym, Tuesdays and Thursday nights, I see uh, patients until nine and I work out after that. And on the nights I work out, I sleep so much better. Now, most people would be like, what? Like, how does that not activate you to wake up? It's the same thing with the coffee 45 minutes before. ADHD, we're sort of, you know, we're, we're a little out of the box. And so sometimes even the things that parents, understandably, because they want the best for their child, would be like, oh, that definitely is not going to be good for them. I would say just like we're teaching kids to be curious and we want parents to also be involved in that process of knowing what might totally not work for them could very much work for their ADHD child. So one of the things I think I'm hearing is involve your child in picking out sheets and comforters to some degree, right? Like bring them to the store yeah. and have them choose them. Try out things that you as a parent may not think would work for you, but let your, you know, yeah. like running around the block or something mm -hmm. like that. Although in the middle of the night, it's probably a bad idea, but you know what I mean? Like, saying, Well, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that, Amanda, that precise example, because when my son was like five years old, I live in a cul-de-sac and it would be, you know, to get him to bed nine o'clock, we would run around the cul-de-sac and my I, neighbors thought I was a little crazy. And <laughs> we do that in our cul-de-sac, which is why that example may have come out of my mouth because we're doing that. Gretchen, did you have a couple of other things you wanted to, to hit on? Too? Um, well, I'm looking at our, our list of wonders for what might work. And I think we also wondered about diet because, you know, families are always hearing things about how diet affects their kids throughout the day, including sleep. And so is there is there any truth to that with the diet? So eating definitely, that could be a whole other podcast because I do a lot of okay. work in the eating and eating. I work with boys and men with eating disorders is a whole other specialty and world that I'm in. But particularly this intersection of ADHD and um, whether it's impulsive eating or not enough nutrition in eating. And with ADHD individuals, we love sugar. I mean, we do. We, we crave sugar. We love those simple carbs because they're dopamine producing, that neurochemical that's implicated in reward. 
So it is definitely very important, especially for parents to know, um, you know, in terms of regulating, you know, eating. And a lot of times too, I mean, even what nutritionists will tell you is sometimes it's not so much what we're eating that's as much as the issue as what we're not eating. And so sugar, of course, is not great if you're having it in large amounts, but what really isn't great about it is because it's it's satiating us, we're not eating maybe enough vegetables or we're not eating enough protein. And that's the real source that gives us that executive energy is high protein. So absolutely, that would be another thing to think about is why it might be difficult. Oh, maybe you didn't have enough protein. So what I'm hearing is chocolate-covered broccoli. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. And, and I like that you're saying that it may not be what they're eating, but what they're not eating, right? And I, yeah. I'm going to use that yeah. in my house because I've got a lack of protein with one of my children who also has sleep challenges. And so I think we'll be talking about more protein. Maybe we'll notice which nights are the better nights of sleep. Yeah, because sometimes, I mean, the reason that we might not be sleeping, too, is we're primitive. When it comes down to it, we need to eat, we need to sleep and we need to drink water mm -hmm. to survive. So those are the three most basic things. So if, if one of those is not, if any of those rather are threatened, it really disrupts the other. And so to know all of these systems are intertwined with each other. I'm thinking about parents and I'm wondering, so when you have kids in the house who have ADHD who are having difficulty sleeping, it can sometimes be like really hard on the entire family in some ways because you're trying to manage that sleep thing. Do you have suggestions for parents, perhaps like me, where they just, they can't do it. They can't stay awake when their child's awake. What do you do? So that's a really good point because it's so important for caregivers to get their sleep because we know, I mean, studies show this, that parents of children with ADHD can struggle with sleep issues because they're up, you know, trying to get their kids to sleep. And it can be very frustrating. And, and it's important that, A, parents have support and know that it's not a failure on their part. Um, their kid isn't meaning to be oppositional around bedtime and things like that. And to know that some of the things, again, that, um, you know, that some parents maybe of, of non-ADHD children might suggest might not work um, for, you know, their ADHD kid. And to not feel judged if your kid is the one running around the cul-de-sac and other people are like, what? Like, why are you doing that? Um, but just like the old adage of you got to put the oxygen mask on yourself first, there are times that we just have to pick our battles. And I gave the suggestion to a parent recently where um, she said, I know that if I, you know, go to bed before my son, he's going to be playing video games till like two in the morning and I have to make sure he's asleep because that's my job, you know, as a parent. But she was burnt out and just really needed sleep. And I said, look, having him be up till two in the morning on a school night isn't going to be the end of the world for him. I mean, he'll have a crappy day, you know, the next day, but you need sleep. So I said, just go to bed. He may be up till two in the morning, but you can deal, you know, with that after, because if you're in a stronger place and feeling just more grounded, you can then be there and teaching him the skills to, to be more grounded. And it's not selfish. She felt selfish. She felt it was you know, self-centered to do that. I said, no, no, no. I said, ultimately, when we take care of ourselves as parents, we are taking care of our children. So also to rely, you know, get support, negotiate, you know, with other caregivers in the household to say, you know what, like, I need 
my eight hours of sleep tonight. So if that means you might have to do that battle solely, and you know, sometimes with in two parent households, they might, you know, feel like they both have to go in. And sometimes it's like, you know what, even if it's going to take a little bit more for you, I need my night's sleep or vice versa. Like you need to get, you know, your good night's sleep. And, and then other times it's okay, this is not a battle worth fighting today. You know, obviously if he was up every night at 2am, it becomes, you know, a problem. Um, So it is very important for parents to also make sure that they're looking at themselves and their own health as well. I, I think it's a perfect ending point to say it's not the end of the world today, right? Yeah. The, that, exactly. That's so, that's so perfect. I mean, we have so much good information. You taught us so much. Thank you so much for being here today. Yes, thank you oh, my so pleasure. much. I really learned a lot. Thank you. Wonderful. Roberto is a therapist in Lexington, Massachusetts, and the co-author of The Adonis Complex. You've been listening to In It, part of the Understood Podcast Network. You can listen and subscribe to In It wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard today, please tell somebody about it. Share it with the parents you know. Share it with somebody else who might have a child with ADHD who just can't get to sleep. Or send a link to a grown-up having the same problem. In It is for you, so we want to make sure that you're getting what you need. Go to you.org slash in it to find resources from every episode. That's the letter U, as in understood, dot O-R-G slash in it. And please share your thoughts with us. You can email us at init at understood dot O-R-G, or you can leave us a message at 646-616-1213, extension 703. Again, that's 646-616-1213, extension 703. And we might just share what you have to say on a future episode. As a nonprofit and social impact organization, Understood relies on the help of listeners like you to create podcasts like this one to reach and support more people in more places. We have an ambitious mission to shape the world for difference, and we welcome you to join us in achieving our goals. Learn more at understood.org slash mission. In It is produced by Julie Subrin. Special thanks this week to Sarah Ivry. Justin D. Wright mixes the show. Mike Errico wrote our theme music. Laura Key is our editorial director at Understood. Scott Kushier is our creative director. And Seth Melnick and Brianna Berry are production directors. Thanks for listening, everyone. And thanks for always being in it with us. 